Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Race, your host, and I'm excited about our guest today. I don't, many people may not know this, but uh, I, I attribute the founding of Perusia to a particular individual who answered a phone call one day uh, when it was like one in the morning for me, who planted the seed in my mind about how to start uh, an apostolate to distribute resources. That man was Ruben Kazada. Later, I discovered uh, Ruben was author of this great book, the, For Greater Glory. And this is based on uh, a very interesting time in history where the, the persecution of the Catholic Church happened in the 20s. We're going to talk about that. He's an expert in this field. He's from Mexico, now living in California, and he's, lo- he's with me now uh, in, in America right now. Hello, Ruben. How are you doing? I'm doing, doing excellent, Shabo. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And, you know, it's, uh, it's very exciting to hear that way back, years back, you know, I was part of the, the, one of the links to be able to bring, you know, Perugia to life. And it's just, you know, God puts us in, in all these areas in our lives. And I was just very lucky to be working where I was. So it's, it's, it's an honor God. to be Thank you. Thank you. I remember. Yeah, it's all timing, isn't it? Uh, I was only after some Scott Hahn cassettes. The technology changed very quickly to CDs. And then uh, I looked at the shipping. It was so expensive. And then you planted (laughs) the idea of why don't you manufacture them locally? And then we pay us a royalty. And and that that was it. And I had to get the website and the name done. And the rest is history. That was uh, May of 2005. We got registered in May of 2005. It would have been months before that. But uh, yeah, you, you gave me some homework to do and, and we got it done and, and praise God, here we are 15, 16 years later now. Yeah, um, man, what, a, what a joy and what a blessing, you know, just that, that it continues. Uh, and especially now, I mean, I think it's the way things have, as you said, from cassette to CD to MP3 and now it's all, you know, it's uh, streaming. So it's, you know, yes. just how, how technology changes, we're still there. That's right. Amen. <laughs> well, you are an author of this book. This is a, a fantastic book. Uh, it's the official companion to actually the film. And, and this many people may not know this piece of history in Mexico, but uh, yes, the Catholic Church was persecuted in a, in a severe way. Um, lots of details. Many saints were born through this and, and blessed um, individuals and very fascinating. The movie that came out a few years ago, we'll talk about that later in the show, but um, you, you have a bit of background about this story. Um, you also are a native Mexican yourself, so this can be personal to you. And, uh, and I'm, I'm curious to dive in because this really hits at the heart of religious freedom, and I'd love to unpack that later in the show. But very, um, let's start at the beginning. You know, what, how did you first learn about this history, about the, the struggle um, for religious freedom back in Mexico. How did you first hear about this story? Thank you. I, I love sharing this part of it because, I mean, we're, we're, we're going back probably, I would say about 40 years ago uh, when I was first introduced. Uh, I was working at a retreat house uh, in California uh, run by Jesuits. And I recall there was one, one priest, a very dear friend. He was very influential in getting, helping my family uh, get situated in California from Mexico. So we were, he was like a godsend for us. And uh, in the process, uh, in his elderly years, he was diagnosed with cancer. And myself working in the retreat house, I was a dishwasher, but I also carried a lot of the meals to the elderly priest who could no longer come down and dine with everybody. 
So my job is to take him a tray with his food to his room. And oftentimes we would just chat, you know, my, my curiosity is always, I was looking around and I remember where he was sitting, he had a desk, an office desk in his room and behind him on the wall, there was just a lot of little photos of family members and loved ones, but there's this one little, it looked like a, not a cartoon, but it was like a printed card and I was wondering, so I, I pointed and I said, who, uh, who who's that? He, he looks back and he says, he goes, this? He says, that's, because that's Father Miguel Pro. And I said, he goes, how do you not know that? He's Mexican. He goes, like you. You don't know about him? I said, I, I don't know. So he grabbed a little, uh, it was taped to the wall. He gave it to me and he said, here, he says, learn about his story. Learn about what Mexico was doing to, to priests. He says, one of them was already a Jesuit. And I said, what? And then he goes like this. And I looked at him kind of weird, going, what do you mean? He says, persecution. I said, okay. So as I was leaving his room, I went, I was right by the door. And I had the little card. I looked back thinking, he's probably pulling my leg. He's probably joking. So I looked back at him before I closed the door. And he goes like this again. He goes, let's read about it. So what you're talking about back in 19, let me see, 1979, 1980, maybe anyone around there. And I would go to the library, start looking for who is this priest or history, anything. I couldn't find anything. Um, and this was just because the Mexican government for decades had, had uh, abolished anybody writing, printing, speaking publicly about the story because as we'll know through the story, it became a very embarrassing chapter for the government and they would rather erase it from people's history than to try to justify it. Mm. So, uh, it wasn't until the 90s when, and this was again, this is after, uh, because uh, there was the dip diplomatic relations between the Vatican and Mexico had been broken for decades. Well, they finally were amended in the early 90s, and now it was a little more freedom to talk about this. And this was around the time when the internet started opening up, like in 93, 94. And I just started looking for every possible way. And I remember the first, the first true story that I saw on this was um, uh, there was a book called No Strangers to Violence, No Strangers to Love. And it was the first time I opened up the pages and I saw one little chapter on the life of Blessed Miguel Pro, who's one of the martyrs. And I saw him being executed with his arms ostracized like this in the form of a cross. And I read it and I just like, how, I just I couldn't, I couldn't fathom, how can Mexico, being a Catholic country, uh, kill, execute a priest? So the more I delved into it, I did more research, I found more books, I found an incredible writer. And to me, a lot of this story, the, the, the treasures we have now really are, there's, a, there's a, a French historian, Mr. Jean Meyer. He actually went to Mexico in the, I believe it was in the 50s or 60s. I can't remember, I think it was 60s. He went with the whole purpose of doing his thesis on the Mexican Revolution. And a good priest friend of his told him, 
John, why don't you do your thesis on the persecution of Mexico instead of the revolution? He goes, what persecution? Well, this launched them into what we have, probably some of the biggest collections of photos, imagery, stories, videos, testimonies of people who actually survived that. And that was my, my, what was just my, my gold treasure chest. And I bought every possible book by him, plus other ones. I even bought some from, from Spain. And I just delved into the story and even took a course online years ago. And by the time I finished, there's this whole story of a three-year war of a persecution that left hundreds of thousands of Catholics, priests, children, women, all over Mexico simply for, for fighting for religious freedom. So how did this get to, to, to how did it get to this? As I read, uh, I did, it was, it was, it was a funny, it's a funny thing in, in the history books in Mexico, you read about all the presidencies, but then when it comes to the point where the persecution began with President Plutarco Calles, those three years of persecution, they only mentioned, they mentioned in the past only one sentence of his, of this president's participation. Other than that, he was highly uh, uh, treasured for all the things he had done with the schools and economy, but only one single sentence saying he was part of the religious persecution in Mexico. That's it. You're talking about three years, hundreds of thousands of lives. And every time I read about it, I was like, there's nothing there. And it was because of this uh, effort to make sure that uh, the memories, you know, we raised the stories were gone from people's minds. So how do we get to that? Well, in the late 1800s, there was a president called Porfirio Diaz. I remember reading about him when I was in Mexico. These most, most of Mexico's presidents back then were generals, ex-generals. So they were military leaders. So this president, Porfirio Diaz, he had been in power for almost 30 years, from 1890s to up to like the 1920s, and the people were fed up. People just, uh, the oppression, the corruption. This is how we start getting the, uh, all these other generals that eventually come a big play into the Mexican Revolution. These generals wanted to become the next president. There were seven of them all together. So in the and every part of the country, everybody wanted to govern. Now you have the Mexican Revolution in play. And for seven years, it was just what it was, a revolution. People fled. I mean, my grandfather and his brother fled Mexico, central Mexico. They came to California because they fled the, the revolution. And uh, anyway. Can I, can I uh, just, this revolution, um, this is before actually what this movie portrays. This is all leading up to the, so this is interesting. So seven years of, of revolution here. Seven years. So it was, World War One, right? It was, what sort of timing did you say there? It was, was, uh, it? it was from about 1920 to about 1927 was the Mexican Revolution. Some okay. strings put it a, bit, a little bit longer, maybe 1929, okay. but that's about the period. And eventually all these generals were killing each other off because they wanted to govern Mexico. Um, eventually, they all came to an agreement. Well, the last, the one in power, which was Venustiano uh, Carranza, there was this one, uh, one general with his, with his uh, federales and his military. They triumphed, and he was established as the next president of Mexico in 1927. Now, with that, came new articles of the Constitution. 
unfortunately, uh, five articles of the Constitution were anti-Catholic. They were anti-religious freedom, but they were they were authorized. They were written as the written stone as part of the law in Mexico. So it really suppressed religious freedom with these articles included on there. So uh, this president came in. Every president is always six years. Uh, he was there for six years. The next one came in, Alvaro Obregón. These two men were raised Catholic, but when they came into power, they just power, I mean, Catholicism just was out the window. It's about power and, you know, money and whatever they can do to, to, stay, to stay up there. So it was these two presidents came in, came into power and started planting the seeds of, of the persecution. There was a lot of attacks on, on churches, on certain clergy, but not, not as what we were about to see with the next president. So because, again, people were getting tired with these politicians and the same promises always, they saw this new president, Plutarco Calles, Plutarco Elias Calles, as the solution for everybody. This guy is really speaking our language. He's really going to look out for us, all that. Um, unfortunately, many people didn't realize that this up-and-coming president was an atheist, not just an atheist, but an anti-Catholic. He was, his father was abandoned him. He was raised by an abusive uncle who was an atheist. So he grew up as a teenager, just not believing in God, not caring about afterlife or just any religious uh, uh, respect for anybody. He gets elected in 1924. And uh, for the first year, it was kind of testing the waters to see how things are going to be about. But one of the things that was happening is that uh, the church was really getting prepared because they knew his anti-sentiment, his sentiment against Catholicism, especially, you know, Christianity in general, but more Catholics. So many times the media would kind of like to incite some type of confrontation just to get the news out. And they would ask some of the bishops, what do you think about uh, President Kayez? And what if he, what if he takes those five articles and enforces them? What would you do? And some bishop would say, well, we actually, um, we belong to God. We don't belong to the president or the country. So for <laughs> us, we obey only one, one creator, and that's what we're going to be uh, faithful to. Well, they would print their own things, twist things around. Eventually, uh, you know, Plutarco Caius was getting very annoyed with the Catholic Church because to them, to him, he, want, he, he saw Mexico as a socialist utopian, and the Catholic Church was poisoning the minds of Catholics. He says, no, you belong to the country, not to God. First, country, then you, whatever you want. But he wanted to make sure that people were not, as he said, poisoned, that mm. Catholicism was teaching another another form of, of, of uh, uh, what would you call it, that type of, I guess, desire to serve or whatnot. But anyway, yes. with that said, eventually, Caius was getting really tired of, of comments of the church or even the way that it was twisted in the media. So eventually he had had enough. And so he took these five articles that I talked to you about and he created a new law in 1926. They called it the Calles Law. He took those five articles, he, he created the law and then he gave all Catholics, now imagine this, almost a 90, 95% Catholic country at the time. 95%. At the time, wow, he gave them 
the last two weeks of June in 1926 to practice your religious freedom, practice masses, ceremonies, uh, first communions, baptisms, whatnot, two weeks. But as of July 1st, 1926, your churches will be closed. And we, I mean, imagine two weeks to do what, to, to whatever you need to celebrate, you can imagine the churches across Mexico were just packed day and night. It was nonstop. There were, there was, this is a time when uh, uh, Padre Pro came back from Europe, actually, after, his, after he was there for uh-huh. his, this whole story is a whole beautiful story that we can talk about another time. But he came to Mexico right before this persecution started. So he was one of the priests. One of the stories that we read is they were hearing confessions day and night, nonstop, where sometimes they would, you know, sometimes they'd pass out and they would replace them with another priest. And there's still there's um, images uh, that I have. I have have hundreds and hundreds of photos that I was able to obtain uh, of the churches and lines and lines of people lined up for blocks and blocks away because this was going to be the last time they were going to be able to have any type of religious ceremony. In the process, the government wanted to establish their own national Mexican Catholic Church. But it was really, a, well, it was a disgrace. It was an offense to our Holy Catholic Church. They would allow priests to marry. They would be, you have to be baptized out on the riverbeds. Uh, it was just so many things that went contrary to, you know, the, the celibacy was, don't worry about celibacy. It's just so many things that, and actually there was, there was a couple of, there were some priests who joined it, but eventually it fell. Just nobody followed it really. It, it collapsed before it even took off. But in the process, from July 1st, 1926, to the end of the year of that year, Catholics were getting desperate. They, were, they would sign letters, petitions, urging the government to please open the churches because people were getting desperate because they lacked the sacraments. They lacked um, mass. They lacked, you know, lacked confession. They lacked, you know, they, they were just desperately in need. Their souls were hurting. So time and time again, when they would show up, sometimes they were, as they would make peaceful marches to the presidency, walking down the streets, they would come back with fire hoses and just, you know, just break them up and, you know, a lot of people would ended up getting hurt. Well, people were just not going to sit there and just do nothing. So eventually, some of the Catholic men who fought in the revolution a few years back, they said, we need to do something. So they gathered in Jalisco, the state of Jalisco in Mexico. And they said, we can't just sit there. We can't just sit here and just, you know, uh, have our freedom suppressed so, so much. We're dying. So they got together in this one little town of Jalisco. Federalists were always on the lookout at every town, make sure nobody went to the churches or celebrated privately or whatnot. But even though it was going all the time, there was a lot of stories of underground churches and yes. masses and so many beautiful stories. That we, could, we could speak for a whole month on these stories. But uh, finally, this one little town in Jalisco, they stood with with uh, rakes, sticks, some guns, and they waited for the federalists to come in and shut their church. Well, they 
crush the federalities. One of the things that the government was doing in desperation was that they were trying to recruit as many young cadets to go fight for the for the government, but they were you know kids. They weren't trained. They were trained poorly. Sometimes yes. they would drop their, they would drop their guns. They would fall off the horse. These men that were waiting up in the hills of the state of Jalisco, they were raised in farms, man. They were they they rode horses for a living. They cattle everything. Yes. So when these, this group came in, I mean, they were outnumbered. They were beaten. So now, the the, the Cristero, these Cristeros, they call them, and we'll talk about the name right now. They actually gained more horses, more ammunition, more guns, and sometimes more men because some of the some of the men would say, "No, I want to I want to stay with you. I want to fight for you guys. I'm a Catholic too." Yes. And then they eventually started this little snowball effect to the next town and the next town. So when word got out, then one of the generals came to the president and said. You know, Mr. President, we have this little rebellions going up in, in, in Jalisco. Uh, can you please give us the authority to use any means of force to squash them? Because, you know, they're nothing. But we just want to make sure we, we're doing it for your permission. And the president, President Kaya says, oh, because he says, it'll give, it'll, we'll, we'll probably squash them in about three weeks. He says, as long as it doesn't take three years, you can do anything you want. Well, the, the war lasted three years, actually. So this name, Cristero, this uprising, eventually, um, it has uh, two words, because the, the word Viva Cristo Rey means long live Christ the King. And in a way, the government was using the word Cristero as derogatory. Here comes those Cristeros, man, always you know, fighting for whatever, for the freedom, the religious, you know, so. But for the Cristeros, it was a badge of honor. Yeah, I'm a Cristero. I'm fighting for Christ for my church. So that's that's how the name came to be, you know, for them. And that was really an honor for them. So as you can see, uh, it just, God had a plan, a different plan. It was just growing. Uh, there's a map in one of the books. There's a, the thesis. I have a few books still. I think I have a whole case of books on this thesis by Jean Meyer. Three books, very thick. Uh, they're all in Spanish, but um, there's a map there that tells you every part of the country that was in, engulfed in these uprisings. And it's just amazing. I mean, how one little group of men fired up their little town into what became this uprising against an evil empire of, uh, of Mexico. It's fascinating. All that background to lead up to this point. Um, thank you for it. Was it's fairly detailed to understand there's so much more detail that we're missing, but, but that paints a picture of, of how we got to this point. And we, we need people to understand this was by law enforced where churches were closed just because it didn't fit the narrative for the president and, and the, and his government at the time. So we, we got, we can't take it. We take it for granted right now, religious freedom. We can still worship although that is coming into attack again in, in a new form. But uh, am I right in saying you, churches were closed and anyone who were found praying or, or, or um, worshipping were, were literally what, what was happening? They were fined. What was the punishment for anyone found in their church? There were, you- there were three levels uh, that were... Three, three levels of punishment. Number one, 
you would be fined so highly that you'd lose your household and you also wow. your family, you'd be homeless. Two, jailed, tortured. A lot of these people who were jailed eventually um, were sent right off the coast of Mexico out into the Pacific. I would say uh, maybe parts of Ayarta, but out into the Pacific Ocean. There's, there's three islands. They're now part of the government. It's all military training. It's called Islas Marias, the Mary Islands. That way at the time, way back at the time, it would be almost like a, a what would you call it? Alcatraz, as we have it here in oh, San yes. Francisco. It was a fearful place to go. So uh, a lot of people who were captured in churches or in homes worshiping, they would be sent to jail. So eventually... Uh, by train to the port to be shipped out to these islands of uh, high criminals and and people who are maybe lunatics or whatever you want to call them. It's just so it was really fierce, fearful to know that you were going to be deported. Yeah. So again, you lose everything, your household, jail, tortured, imprisoned, or worse, execution. And that was really more for the religious. And anybody who opposed a federally trying to stop them from closing the church. So, you know, that, the, wow. the stakes were high. So uh, that's where we have, uh, we have a lot of martyrs. We have a lot of saints nowadays. You know, that's been, since then we've had three different ceremonies of uh, beatifications and uh, canonizations from a lot of our most beautiful heroes out of Mexico. But it's, it's definitely a, I remember as a kid, even just reading briefly on the Islas Marias and knowing what it stood for, it was just fearful. As a kid, we're like, oh, man, that must be a scary place. And, you know, sure enough, you talk about wow. being there when it was at its worst. It's probably terrifying. And they didn't care. Children, elderly, women, just part, part of the, you're part of the group. And that's how it would, you would Amazing. I mean, thinking that it was 95% Catholic um, and, and to go at war with 95% of your country. I mean, what, what possesses someone to get to that level of, of hatred for, for the church? Yes, it was an atheist. And, um, and I understand, was there influence from uh, Masonic influence or is it Freemasonry linked here? Um, and, and what significance did that play? And is this part of this whole... Um, background yeah. to, to Caius? Absolutely. Well, you know, we go back to the to the 1800s at the Battle of Puebla for Mexico's independence. And uh, when when Mexico battled for independence, finally, there was already a lot of uh, Freemasonry was already established across Mexico. So uh, as of right now, even though it's not evident, but uh, Masonry controls power in Mexico. It's just very subtle, very hidden. Uh, but it was even since its independence, it was there. Um, I mean, during the during this battle of independence, there were two priests who are now on our, on our currency. Jose Maria Morelos and Miguel, Padre Miguel Hidalgo, they're not currency, they're priests. They were executed by Masons through this, through this battle. So comes the independence. And I remember there's a chapter that I read, even in the 18... 1875, I believe, there was a religious war similar to what we're talking about. Um, it's not well recorded, but there was a big 
also a religious freedom attack in Mexico. And uh, I think there's a couple of images here and there that I have collected from that. But again, the attack just continued. Then comes that president who governed for 30 years, then the revolution, then this persecution. And it's just been, you know, a really, uh, it's been a, an uphill battle pretty much every time. And the other thing I wanted to add, in Mexico, when you get, you can get into politics, city council, local, you know, once you start climbing the ranks, you better be sure that you're gonna, your faith is not gonna be, take precedent. It's, you're gonna have to set it aside. And it's gonna be, this is how we, how we think, this is how we act. And if you can't follow this, then get out. That's just the mentality of, uh, I've had friends and family members who uh, were in politics and eventually they, they would rather step out because then it means their whole existence or what they stood for would be wiped out. And, you know, it's just like, it's not worth it. I'd rather go sell tacos in the corner than, than give my life to something like this. Wow. Yeah. So it's, well, it's amazing. What you said, you, you get us to the point where it's interesting. Um, th there's a famous movie for greater glory that, that, that was, that was uh, created and it, and it picks up uh, where you were mentioned, where Kaya starts to film and, and that these people are, are going to poison um, the the, po the Catholics are poisoning the mind of the people. And so he, he, he calls all out war and that's where the movie picks up and very fascinating how it just goes into then all these stories. You have the companion to it. And in the book, you describe all the different key characters and there's some famous actors. Andy Garcia did a great job um, as, as uh, the actor there. And um, we, we've also got all these other great um, roles that were played for different characters. You, you were involved in, in that and tell us uh, um, how, how accurate is that movie? If people don't know much about this story, if they watch that movie, do they get a really good sense of what happened in this three year period? Um, could you describe, I guess, what this movie is trying to portray um, and, and why everyone should be watching this. Absolutely, absolutely. The, the, uh, the, I'll say, you know, the, the, um, uh, Andy Garcia played an incredible, incredible character in uh, Enrique Gorostieta, this general. Um, he actually was uh, one, of the, one of the generals in the Mexican revolution prior to the soul persecution. But eventually he he lost, so he retreated. He didn't want to do anything with war anymore. You see how he was eventually plucked from his soap of, uh, manufacturing company, but he was well decorated. He was an atheist, but even though he lost towards the end of the revolution, he was very well strategized. He was well decorated also in the military. So um, we're talking about how God is using, I think the most important thing God uses even the least people that we can think of for a greater glory. So this guy comes in uh, and when these uprisings came all over Mexico, as the map that I showed you, they're spreading all over different parts of Mexico. He comes in and forms them into a powerful army. He just, the strategy, the strategy he uses to be able to fight back and grow, all because Enrique Gorostieta. Uh, you see the story, I mean, um, I would say the story itself in the movie, it's about 
85 to 90% accurate because some of the characters didn't quite meet the way you see it in the movie. It just added a little bit more spice and it's a little more fun to the story. But okay. even so, you know, um, I think an important character for me personally uh, is, you know, Eduardo Verastegui. He played, um, he's now a saint, Saint Anacleto Gonzalez Flores. Anacleto is just, if you were, my gosh, if you were to read his story, just his story, and the books that have come out of his writings, amazing. Uh, he, he is almost like a, a theologian. Uh, and, you know, he was back in time and he wasn't, he wasn't even, I mean, he was well prepared. He was trying to be an attorney as well. But the way he would speak, the way he would write was just so eloquent. Some of his books are just amazing to see. So to see him, his passion, his motivation to serve the church, always in meaningful with means, you know, peaceful protest, with letters, with flat, never violence. It was always his heart. And uh, to see, I mean, I, I did a whole presentation um, of his life story. And I have so many images up until his martyrdom. And you see, you hear his martyrdom, and just, you get goosebumps, you get chills of the suffering that he went through for, for the church. And, you know, eventually, uh, to his canonization, but my gosh, you know, these guys, uh, you wonder, would we, you, Sharbo, and I, would we do that today? That would be a challenge for many of us, but these guys wouldn't even blink once to say, I'm there, and I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm going to fight no matter what. So, uh, and, and, and the whole question that you asked is like, what, what are we to, to get out of the story? Well, number one, I think it's very important to, to understand history, to know who we're supporting. I mean, we have the Catechism of the Catholic Church that leads us, teaches us how to vote with our conscience based on our Catholic faith. Uh, I also tell people, uh, you know, read, read about any candidate. Don't just because you waited to the last moment to vote and just this, this, this one sounds better. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this one off. Or this person sounds better. Read about them, what they stand for, who, what they believe in. And I started doing that a long time ago. Uh, when I started like, you know, getting passionate about my faith, I would go to my local city councils and talk to some people. And eventually, there was a friend of mine whom I went to school with in uh, grammar school. But now, you know, he was, he was already in college or past college. But I knew he was not supporting abortion. So one time after our city council, I went there talking and they said, uh, hey, uh, Mark, since when are you supporting the abortion? We always, I mean, we go to church together and what? Well, yeah, yeah, but you know, he just started making excuses about, you know, that our council members vote together and it's just, you know, it's not really, I gotta kind of leave my faith aside. And I said, well, you know, I'm not gonna vote for you. I'm not gonna vote for you. I said, this is not, this is not the Catholic thing to do and you should, I'm gonna pray for you. I said, it's, it's just, uh, we can't, we can't choose nothing but God and what he calls us to do. But you see, these are the people that you get into power and it's like they fight in self-interest. Or you go to vote and you don't really study about these people and what they stand for. Because eventually, we can get another Plutarco Calles elected, like Mexico did. Think, oh, he's going to promise the world. Look what he did. And now, I think, you know, uh, towards, towards you know, the movie itself, I don't want to get... Uh, diverted from the point, but it's about learning our history, learning our faith, knowing what to stand for, 
looking at the at the the maps, the sacrifices that are that are our roots, our family members, because I know, I know I have family members from three, four generations who died fighting for my faith. And believe me, that gives me, gives me pride, gives me joy, gives me courage to stand even stronger than I did before. If they did it for me, then we have to do it for the next generation. So it's about fighting for what's right, knowing that we belong to God and nobody else, and be able to say, look, I think an important point besides the religious freedom itself, if we don't stand up for the religious freedom and fight if we need to, only if we need to, after this whole story, this whole story ended in 1929, people had lost husbands, sons, the women had to work now, the, the girls, the children had to get out of school and work, it affected generations for many to come. Now that you didn't have education, they didn't have a husband to take care of them. And the suffering that went through for many decades because, I mean, I, even though they stood, they fought for what they were right, they didn't win anything. They just, they just won what they had freely, but now without someone to care for them. Mm. Imagine if we don't stand up for religious freedom, we're going to be a million times worse. So we need to fight. We need to do it peacefully. We need to do it, you know, under the guidance of our Catholic guidelines and be able. There are certain guidelines. I think if we look at the, <clears throat> the catechism tells us, well, when should we fight? And there is, there's some, um, there's a few paragraphs in the catechism that tell us about certain things that, you know, first of all, again, we never support war. But there's also some beautiful stories, especially in the book. We have the encyclicals that are just phenomenal. If people were to, Read this, iniquis afflictisque, one of my favorites. You're reading this, it's like you're reading it almost nowadays, except with a few changes, but it's like, wow, this is picking me. I want to read it. So there, there were two, uh, two encyclicals in the book that people can read and learn a lot from. Yeah, well, thank you. Uh, so, so important. And I can't, as you were speaking, I can't help think, um, you know, we are, we are facing very similar scenario now as far as a it is a different type of persecution but it certainly is there the suppression of of freedom of religion and and particularly you know catholics as well seem to be plucked mocked at across the across the board in the media and 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 even in our leadership politics um and all these different battles the battle for life abortion and and now thanks to the rise of the the pro-life movement it's been growing and growing for decades now, and we're at a point where now there's a real force um, behind it. But imagine those people didn't stand up. The, the you know, there's all these different other battles just for the freedom of religion. When what do what do Catholics teach about marriage between a, a male and a female, mm-hmm. and what the sanctity of marriage is? Now that laws have passed, it makes it very difficult. Now we we, we can't agree on terms anymore, and, and so we're entering into a whole new era that. It's it's a now battle of identity, a battle of who we are, who God is, and we have to now decide what what side of the fence are we. It's becoming so um, obvious now uh, the difference between what what the culture is is trying to propose, what the church is. It's at complete odds, but the church has a responsibility, and us Catholics to 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 raise the truth. 
this this film is and this book and this whole real life story is such an inspiration to today's time. I can't help think it, it, it's more relevant now than it's ever been. Um, if a country like Mexico, 95% Catholic, um, face persecution and, and basically almost complete obliter obliteration, that, the goal of Cayes was to wipe out the church, right? It was Absolutely. completely to shut it down, make it, it was illegal. <laughs> we, are, we are heading into similar territory. We are only, what is it, uh, you know, not even... 25%, 20 to 25% in our respective countries of, of Catholics, yeah. of that only 10 to 20% practicing. So very small and minority compared to what Mexico had. We, we could be annihilated if we're not careful. So we, we can't take what we have for granted and, and how we need to learn from, from who've gone before us. Um, any favorite story or any please comments from you on that? And then I'd like no, to. I, absolutely. I, th I think the, the, the most beautiful thing I like to, to share is that as parents, whether, whether you're raising a grandchild or you're raising a nephew or whatever, or your, your own children, your own family, teach them, teach them, teach them. Proverbs tells us if you teach a child the way they should go, when they grow up, they will not depart from it. So yeah, there will be time. There will be a time maybe through their teenage years and so forth, you know, they get straight away a little bit, keep pulling them, keep pulling them. Because you're having Satan and society take them away. And believe me, the power, the power of God, the angels are pulling them back. But you also need to be, don't give up. Because a lot of parents is like, well, whatever, they'll eventually do whatever. No, teach them, teach them, never cease, never stop praying. And, you know, just keep praying for them every single day because Satan's after them. And especially the way the culture is going, uh, they can easily, easily sway, especially with social media and whatnot. It's just, I don't know, that's a whole different topic to go into. But yes. It's just amazing. But yeah, yeah. It's getting crazy. Uh, do you have a favorite um, part of the movie? Uh, so in the movie, is there a particular um, scene or a moment that really is your favorite? Wow, there's 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 so many. You know when when the um, when the movie was first filmed, um, the actual film itself was three hours and twenty minutes. Wow! But but there was no way that could have ever made it to the big screen. So after post production, they called. There was uh, the director, produ producer, some actors. You know, there was uh, uh, what do you call it? Andy Garcia, Eva Longoria, Ruben Blades. I was called in. So there's probably about 15 of us who went to see the entire film, three hours and 20 minutes, which took forever. And then they took us into a different room and they gave us this long, long, almost looked like a scroll. And then they said, okay, now you tell us what scenes you want to be taken out of this movie. It's like, how do you do that? I love every scene. Turn it into two movies. I don't care. Don't, don't, don't take anything yes. away. So. But we eventually, we had to, uh, that's called post-production. We had to delete a lot of the scenes. And I think, I think uh, one of the, one of the scenes that I, it's not in the movie, but I'm going to share it with you. And it's uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the Cristeros, there's, there's a book called, um, I'm going to say it in Spanish first and then I'm going to translate it to English. In Spanish, it's called Entre las Patas de los Caballos. Translation among the horse's hooves. So this is a saying in Spanish, which means 
Don't get between the horse's hooves. You're gonna get trampled. Um, this one story of this young Cristero, his name is Luis Rivero del Val. This young man left everything. He went to fight for Christ the King. In the book, because it, it was a diary, is a photo of him. And I remember the first time I read this book, I read it like five times again. Every day that he was out on the battlefield, he, drew, he wrote a diary. He wrote a diary. And some of the stories there are just incredible. You talk about the Holy Spirit protecting them, the angels protecting them just every day and what they went through. One of, the, one of the writings that he put there was, he was on the field for, I think, two years fighting, not seeing his family, hardly eating, but during, it was a Lenten season. And one of his entries said, today is Good Friday. Um, we abstain from eating meat. Actually, we hadn't had any food to eat for three weeks, so that's okay. We're going to abstain from meat today. <laughs> so he turned something negative into some type of a, you know, a, a funny moment for him to write. But anyway, at the end of the this whole persecution, um, a lot, you know, as, as, I don't know if it's, it wasn't in the movie itself, but there was a big trap by the government. When they finally signed the truce, the, the government reached out to all the Cristeros to say, surrender your weapons and you will get a presidential pardon, a document that says you're no longer wanted, you're a free man and you can go back to your families. A lot of them didn't because they knew it was a trap. Those who did surrender the weapons were executed. They were hunted down. And actually, actually after the truce was signed, more leaders of the Cristero movement were hunted down and executed by the government. Those who didn't, like this guy that I told you about, Luis Rivero del Val. He, along with his uh, a friend or two, they were done. They went to the train station to get on board and finally go back to their families. As they were boarding, these men showed up and gunned them down right there in, at, the, at the train station. Uh, people eventually picked up the bodies. They said, mer merciful people, there's a story, picked up the bodies, took them to the morgue, and they found this diary that he carried on his sack over here. So he pulled out his paper. It was this, a diary that he carried. And then uh, the people went to the local police department, and they demanded justice. They said, why were they killed? They were innocent men. They, they, they weren't at risk. Why did you guys kill them? And the general at the station says, that's what they get for getting among the horses' hooves. They got trampled. Uh -huh. Hence the title of his book, which is a phenomenal one. So on the back, just to finalize, on the back of that book, part of his writing says exactly this. The days will come when people, when able people will be able to share the stories of their heroes, and the sacrifices they shared. By that time, Mexico will learn to appreciate it. By then, the, the chains will be broken and Mexico will learn to appreciate it. Viva Cristo. And that was the way he closed his diary. And that book is, to me, one of the most beautiful stories. It's, it's a diary. It's like you're reading it yourself. It's part of you when you're Wow. Yeah. Um, 
Now, now he, you mentioned uh, that him in this book. Yes. Yes. Yes, correct. It is. And, um, uh, I was going to say, yeah. is there a way of getting the, the longer version of the film or they just won't release it? Is there, no, a, is there I, an unedited version or director's cut? I wonder. I haven't, I haven't done the research, but I, <laughs> I do have actually the, the producer. I, I was able to contact his secretary two weeks ago to get the movie rights for yes. the contact. So I'm going to reach out to her. It wouldn't be a bad idea, actually. But my, my gosh, there were so many other scenes that I wish you would have seen. They're just phenomenal. That would be great. Uh, yeah, I've been um, excited about it. And we at Perusia have, have now finally sourced the, the local distributor and, and we'll make available the movie um, and it'll be soon on our Perusia On Demand platform, which will be available digitally, as well as the DVD and Blu-ray versions on, on as well. And we hope to get you to, to Australia one day um, and we can do some screenings and, and have you talk about these details and, and answer some questions. I think it's fascinating to learn this history, this important history. Um, uh, like you, I learned about, uh, bless, is it St. Miguel Pro now? Is it, blessed. Was he blessed? He's still blessed. So blessed Miguel Pro. Um, I had the honor to meet uh, the great grand nephew. Uh, so uh, he's a priest from Opus Dei, Father Pro. Yes. And yes. Uh, he, he's um, from Mexico. He was living in Australia. Now he's living in New Zealand. So okay. hello to our New Zealand friends. I think he may be going back to Mexico, I'm not sure, but he is probably in his 50s or 60s now, maybe his 60s. Um, but he spoke with so much uh, passion about the, the, the story of Blessed Miguel Pro and, and oh, yeah. uh, the school uh, we, we blessed here at Perusia, we um, based in, in, in the school uh, of Opus Dei and uh, once a year would commemorate uh, Blessed Miguel Pro and would have a feast about it. So I knew just nat naturally through that, I want to know more about this story. When the movie came out, I said, wow, I want to watch this movie. But yeah. as I was talking to people, many people don't know this history, and many, even Mexicans, and I was surprised to hear, um, you know, in, in California you've got quite a few Mexicans also in, across the south, across the United States, and I remember having an Uber driver once and, and I just talked to him about the Cristero War. And I even, I was emailing you, I think. <laughs> I was yeah. in the car with, with a Mexican driver and he says, it's funny, you know more about Mexican history than I do. I said, well, obviously they don't want you to know this history. And I, and I think you ended up sending him a free copy of the book. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, but it was great. We were evangelizing. Um, absolutely. When we were traveling, doing the, uh, the grand, I guess, you know, the red carpet showings of the movie all over even Mexico, it was, it was a bit of a shock to know there's people working these theaters. They're out there, they're, they're the escorts, they're everything. They knew nothing about this. It's like, we're coming to your, your you know, your, our country, Mexico. Yes. And you're what, 30, you're 25, you know nothing about this. And it's like, oh my gosh. And then it was just, um, I think that that part was really interesting for me to know. It's like, you know, even back then, even in Mexico, people don't know about this. It's already kind of forgotten. But the other thing that I was just want to share with you, one last part is that um, one of the first books that I read a long time ago uh, was uh, published by uh, Pauline Books and Media, Dr. St. Paul. Yes. Uh, it was, it's called uh, With Life and Laughter. Uh, this is a book by Brother, I can't remember his name, the author. He already passed away. But he interviewed Blessed Miguel's prose last living sister before she passed away. 
And the book has a lot of that story of his, of their daily lives, you know, with his brother, with her brother. And uh, anyway, the book was out of print for years. So eventually, I, I had a couple copies. I reached out to Ignatius Press, and I was able to help them get the rights. So now, I I also helped in, in the process of the book. I did all the uh, photography. So there's a chronological story of Blessed Miguel Pro. Uh-huh. That was so that wow. this is a book that was just probably released maybe last year by Ignatius. Okay. It's called With Life and Laughter on Father Miguel Pro. Oh, Very brilliant. Good. We'll look that up. Um, the, I have to share my favorite scene in the story in the movie. Yes. Um, it was and I mean, so and the, the real character, Andy Garcia, um, did a brilliant job, but uh, it was it was like he needed convincing. It was he did such a good, good um, job of, of going through that journey. He had sort of a conversion throughout the story, yeah. and he got to that point where that one of the final battles. He's on the horse and he's talking to the troops, and you know, and and he he himself was a bit of a doubter. He wasn't practicing his faith. Uh, he wasn't really into the Catholic faith, but he was into freedom and he believed in freedom. And the, and it was that final speech where he's telling everyone, "We believe freedom. We need to we need to protect our families, our future." Uh, and then he said, "You know, they might shoot, they might uh, shoot bullets, but God will decide where they land." And he says, "We need to fight for freedom." And he says, "Que viva Cristo Rey!" And he shouts and roars, and they're all ready to go. And I just thought, wow. At the start of the, the whole thing, he didn't want to even be a part of this. He needed convincing. Then he finally joined, and then he he, he saw that the, there was, it wasn't organized. And over time, he was personally won over to the point where he had a conversion to the to the end. And um, actually, in real life, if if you uh, watch interviews of Andy Garcia, he talks about how he was um, moved personally. And he's from Cuba, so he's not even native Mexican, right? Is that correct? That's correct. That's correct. Um, but for him to learn on a personal journey this whole story and impact his faith, um, I think speaks wonders. So I was amazed by that, and I like if I grab that clip and play that over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so many great moments in the movie. Uh, I think thank you for the work you've done in the background there for the movie and also as an official companion. I'm excited to announce we have the official companion available at perusiamedia.com. Um, thank you to Ruben. Uh, we've been able to get... Uh, print copies locally. So those in Australia, New Zealand, you can get this at a fraction of the cost. Uh, You save all the international shipping. Those in America, now, um, can we point them uh, to you, Ruben? How can people in the States get copies of this book? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I I still have many books available. Uh, um, There is no print website right now with the actual book, but I can, if you want to share my email, I can send it to you later. You can put it on there so you could. Uh, I bet I still have, you know, I did a second printing on my own uh, just because the demand was there. Uh, Ignatius Press was very generous to take this project. They gave me the printed copyright. So I still sent them off from, from my local, uh, wow. what do you call it, uh, post office. But I'll, I'll say you, you know, share with you my email contact information. I'll be more than happy to that we'll pop that on and and if you like because of our reach um if, if you um yeah just just write to us and what we'll do is we'll forward uh, link you to to get the book locally and and ruben to save all that shipping um Absolutely. got to get this book and i love how it's it's including scenes of the film but you've mm-hmm. also got lists and and right towards 
the end here, we've got a list of actual um, blessed and canonized, uh, beatified, those beatified and canonized. Um, um, this is fantastic. Uh, you've got that. So uh, Blessed Miguel Pro is one of them. But, of course, the young child um, that in the scene, they, they kept it in the movie, but St. Jose, is it St. Jose de Sanchez, del Rio de Sanchez? Jose, Jose Sanchez del Rio. Sanchez del Rio. I've got to get it right. What yes. an amazing. He's a saint now, right? Yes, he is. Absolutely. Yes. You know, um, there was, uh, going back to this one closing prayer, because there's a, uh, one of the pages, Cristero Prayers. Okay. And there's, this, there's one prayer that I remember that just gave me, I used to close my conferences with that quote. And this came from St. Anacleta Gonzalez Flores. It said this to finish off, because he had a beautiful prayer to, you know, our Heavenly Father, to, to religious freedom. And then he, he would close with this. Oh God, grant to me that my last words on earth and my first ones in heaven are Viva Cristo Rey. Beautiful. As he's going into transition from the earth to heaven, that 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 scream or that yell of Viva Cristo Rey is heard on earth and the first words in heaven. It was just phenomenal. It was just gives me chills every time I hear that. Uh, that, and that I certainly have adopted that saying now, que viva Cristo Rey, viva Cristo Rey. We, we can say it from uh, the rooftops, long live Christ the King. And mm -hmm. may we all sing and chant that, that, that saying, long live Christ the King. Um, shall we close um, um, uh, with one of these prayers? You've got, it's a great little section here. You've got these Cristero prayers. Um, did you want to pick one? I've, I'm here in pages 102 and 103, 104, some great uh, Cristero prayers. I would say, you know, that's uh, one of my favorite, um, I think, prayer to Christ the King. Let us focus on our Heavenly yes. Father, Christ the King, and we can definitely finish with that. So, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ Jesus, I acknowledge you as our universal King. All that exists has been created by you. I renew you, my promises of my baptism, renouncing Satan, his temptations, and his works, and I promise to be a good Christian. Most importantly, I promise according to my means to ensure the triumph of your will and Holy Mother Church. Oh, Jesus, I offer my humble actions so that every human heart acknowledges and lives your message of peace, justice, and love. Amen. Amen. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And que viva Cristo Rey. Viva Cristo Rey. Amen. Thank you very much, Ruben. Uh, so great to have you here. And um, we're looking forward to doing a lot more with you. And... Um, we, we've got to get more, yeah, there's so many details to this. I can't wait to yeah, unpack even more stories. So um, to everybody watching now, um, please get a copy. Go to perusiamedia.com. You've got to get this companion. The movie is also now available. You can get that at perusiamedia.com, uh, DVD and digital formats uh, as well. Thank you once again. Uh, pray for Ruben Cazada. Please pray for us here at Perusia. And until next time, God bless. Thank you.